0: All right, good morning. I'll take that. (laughs) Uh, Just a a quick announcement. Uh, If you, like some of you know already, if you've seen the newsletter, um, started a a, a podcast. um, And the purpose of it is to, we're going through the entirety of our confession, uh, the 1689 London Baptist Confession. And we're going through paragraph by paragraph by paragraph. Um, and actually, tomorrow will be the first. As we get into the doctrines, we've been going through the preface uh, this past two weeks. So, um, not on the newsletter. Talk to, to Jason or Cat, and they'll get you hooked up on the newsletter to receive the newsletter. And there's a link in that newsletter. You can go straight to Spotify to that podcast, um, or just type in the 1689 podcast in Spotify, and and you'll find it. Um, so I encourage you to, to follow along with us. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take us to go through it. Um, probably the better part of the rest of the year, if not falling into the next year. But um, know what we believe, and, and, and we'll go through the, the confessions and um, primarily the, the scriptures that support why we confess what we confess. Right. So 1 John chapter 3 made it to verse 11 here, and we're going to go, I'll read down through 18 this morning. And as always, take heed of the the perfect, beautiful, inerrant word of God as I read. Verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart or closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but indeed in deed and truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Pray your spirit presses upon our hearts this morning, reminds us this morning of this great truth that your son laid down his life for us. Father, may we live and have our being in that truth. We find our assurance in that truth. May our hope without uncertainty be found in that truth. Father, I pray that you take our minds to the cross this morning. That we see the great debt that we owe, but yet was taken upon our great Lord, your Son. And we pray all this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. There is a pinnacle to this passage. Uh, and as we see, as we go down through this, uh, we're going to just exalt this pinnacle sentence that we find here this morning in this passage Um as we could, we look at all these exhortations and these, these reminders and these encouragements here throughout that, that this is the message we heard from the beginning, to love one another, to not be like Cain, to be like Abel, to not be surprised that the world hates you. This great reminder that we've passed from death to life. We see here also this exhortation that if we have goods, world's goods, that we are to help a brother that's in need to walk in deed and in truth, to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk, as the old saying goes. So when we look at all those exhortations and encouragements, It all points to this paramount verse there in 16. So this morning, as we're gathered here this morning, I want us to reflect on this magnificent truth here that is proclaimed to us in like the most simplest words. As he says here, he laid down his life for us. Every word in that sentence is just... Clear, concise, straightforward, which enhances its beauty. It's so clear that that a a young child can comprehend it. As Spurgeon once said, he said, profound thoughts require simple words to express themselves. While small ideas may need grandiose words for explanation. And he says, great thoughts and their conveyors find contentment in simplicity. And that's what we see here from John here this morning, from this verse here in 16, that he laid down his life for us. If that sentence means little to you, has no effect in your spirit, I pray that, that in these moments, as you leave here this morning, that you leave as a new Creature, a new creation, a, a new found understanding of that statement. There's such a, a limited scope here to, to of, of, of eloquence of, of philosophical debate when it comes to this sentence because it's so clear, it's so simplistic, it's so straightforward, yet magnificent doctrine he laid down his life for us. So when we read that and we see it, what are we to do with it? How do we take this? Since there's no need to, to dissect it with intellectual speech or grandiose words, what are we to do with it? I believe the most simplistic answer to it is to devote ourselves to adoration, devote ourselves to, to worship, to, to humbly bow down and worship the one who was, is, and is to come. So this morning, to be, be likened to an angel, likened to an angel who, who when it, that angel's task is complete, that spirit that was sent to minister to the saints, the task is complete, Nothing else to accomplish. Nowhere else to fly. Where does that angel go? Straight to the throne room of grace. Straight back to the throne room of grace. To the throne of truth. Humbling himself and then bowing down before his creator. Worshiping him. Joining in in the the symphony of heaven. Proclaiming holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Worshipping the the magnificent and glorious one who sacrificed his life for us. So let's do that this morning. Let's do that today. Every day. Let's set aside uh, all the thoughts of the world, uh, all the the thoughts of the normal day-to-day activities. And may our hearts and thoughts be set to the throne room of grace this morning. As we dive into this, I want to remind you of of this critical doctrine uh, and that is comprehending Christ's humanity we must comprehend his humanity before we fully understand his death and what he did on the cross so if I were to tell you that 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 God died for us I were to say God died for us in a sense that is true but there would also be an error in that. God cannot die. It's inherently impossible for him to cease to exist. For speaking on death, of ceasing to exist, it's impossible for him. He cannot cease to exist even for, for uh, a moment. God is incapable of suffering. You know, we sometimes use words to express emotions attributed to God but we speak only in human terms God is unemotional he cannot experience suffering nor endure any form of affliction at all let alone death and you might be thinking, "Oh, isn't, isn't God love, isn't that emotion Well, yeah, God is love and not, not in the way that, that we express love which can vary and vacillate depending on the moment God is love. It's perfect. and steadfast. So we must always remember that our Lord Jesus Christ is is truly God. He's truly man. And, And as God, he possessed all the attributes and possesses still all the attributes of the Almighty. Could not suffer or die. But as a man... As a man, he experienced the agony of death. He was nailed to the cross, bearing our sins. And while his, during that, that, that crucifixion, his divine nature remained intact. So even when the soldiers draped him with the cloak, they put a reed scepter in his hand, into his human hand, even at that moment, he retained his eternal dominion, his omnipotence as God. It was never relinquished. He did not cease to be God or lose his eternal authority when he became man, nor did he, as God, die or suffer. It was as a man that he laid down his life for us. As a man, he accomplished what Adam could not. Living the sinless, perfect life. So let us worship this morning this extraordinary God man. Let us come to the place of angels this morning and behold our Savior. Enter into the, 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 the Holy of Holies, the, the innermost circle of sanctity where the cross of Christ stands. So as we sit here this morning, And as as, as we worship, be reminded of an eternal lesson that comes from the fact that he laid down his life for us. If he gave his life for us, if you believe that he gave his life for us, and he did, our sins must have been exceedingly great. It must have been immense, requiring such a sacrifice as the Son of God himself. How immense are our sins? So let's contemplate this morning with faith, this somber reality. And ask yourself in this moment, did he lay down his life for me? Did he lay down his life for me? Ask yourself that, that personal question. And how immense must my sins have been? I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm going to preach a testimony. uh, uh, A pilgrim's progress, if you would. Which I believe that mirrors many of our own personal journeys. Any journeys that have, uh, maybe people that we're discipling as well. We can see these these testimonies, this testimony kind of reflecting many of our own personal pilgrim's progress. A man can go through a time where he witnesses the intense light of Mount Sinai and where the ten commandments were, were given. And that man's spirit trembles within his inner being as, as his sins appear exceedingly dark in the contrast of God's holiness and his perfect commandments. And so when, when the, the, the trumpet sound grows louder and, and, and the thunderous sound gets deeper, the flashes of, of, of lightning strike that man's heart, he sees a profound darkness, a profound abyss of iniquity within his own soul. And in that moment, that man is ready to curse the very day in which he was born for possessing such a vile and deceitful heart. That man believes he had witnessed the utmost darkness of his sin sadly that man hadn't seen enough to to despise his sin to the point of forsaking him as that conviction slowly fades away Sinai would would become a a dormant volcano to him The, the sounds of thunder fade away from his ears the lightning flashes dwindle down to a mere flickering candle until they fade away. And as the the seed that was sown into his life is, is, is plucked away from the hard soil of his heart, he resumes playing with sin, cherishing it more than he's ever before. And sometime down the line, down the line of, of God's providence, down the line of time, that same man beholds this sin once again. But this time he sees it through the, uh, the illuminating radiance of heaven. That man is standing in a field, gazing upward, contemplating heaven, the vastness of the universe, the, 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 the masterpiece that has been crafted by the hand of God. He discerns the purity of God's character as etched upon everything. The sunlight, the grass, the flowers, the trees. He perceives God's holiness engraved upon the, the vastness of the universe as well as things revealed in Scripture. So then as he compares himself to his creator, he realizes the the, the profound darkness within his heart. And that man cries out to God he never comprehended the, the vastness or the enormity of his guilt until he witnessed the splendor of God's character. So now, that man, in, in, the, in the light of God's holiness, his soul is humbled by the thought of of his sinfulness and his immense disobedience and neglect towards the living God. That man thinks to himself, I I believe this must be it. This must be it. I, I now understand. Sadly, that man had seen enough to worship momentarily. But his joy was, was as fleeting as the morning dew. That man presses on, forgetting the true nature of his being. He goes on to lose sight of God's uh, majesty and also loses awareness of his own guilt and his own depravity, choked out by the weeds of the world. Then down the thread of time, a man encounters another perspective. He witnesses God's loving kindness towards him. He observes how God has, has nurtured him in the lap of providence, how he carried him throughout his life, how he paved his path with abundance, bestowed him self uh, uh, bestowed upon him all the joys of life. He remembers God's presence during difficult times, times of trial, God's preservation in the midst of storms, uh, God's safeguarding during the the hurricanes of life. That That man recalls all of God's goodness towards him. And he's struck, he's struck by the magnitude of God's mercy. Now he sees for the very first time his sins in the light of God's grace. That man, that man cries out to God. He cries out, he says, oh, My sins are so despicable. I, I can't believe how, how ungrateful I am towards such a loving God. At that moment, that man believes he has witnessed the worst worst of sin when he compares it first to God's character and then he compares it with God's abundant blessings. That man despises sin from the depths of his heart. He thinks he has seen enough of the wickedness of his own depravity. Yet he has not. A sense of gratitude slowly dissolves. He finds himself still inclined to sin. Still embracing sin. Lavishing in it. Still ever so desirous of the things of the world. However, there comes another moment. Another moment in that man's life one day during his, his wanderings a man hears a cry hears a cry a cry that seems like not like anything ever uttered by mortal lips it, that cry containing in, in it the unfathomable depth of unimaginable sorrow within that voice within that cry And that man, he he turns, expecting to witness uh, an extraordinary sight. And he does. It's an awe-inspiring spectacle that he sees. As he turns there, hanging upon a tree. Hanging upon a cross. All wounded and bleeding is a man. He sees the, the misery that is causing, causing his flesh to tremble on his bones. He observes the, the dark clouds descending from heaven like chariots of fire. Shrouding this crucified man in darkness. But even within the dense blackness, that man can see clearly... The man on the tree. He can see him. His eyes are open. He he can discern the man's heart overflowing with gloom and horror, profound grief, mirroring the the darkness that is in the sky. As he fixes his, his gaze on this man, he's able to peer into his soul. Witnessing the, the, the torrents of anguish. A cup of torment so dreadful that a man cannot even fathom drinking from it. The question is, who is this mighty sufferer? Who is he? Has he been the greatest of sinners? Is he the most blasphemous of all what did he do to deserve such a punishment a voice from the clouds declaring this is my beloved son this is my beloved son who knew no sin but for your sake he bears your sin on your behalf so that you might so in him you might become the righteousness of God That man cries out again for God. As he realizes he has never truly understood the nature of sin until that hour. Until that very moment. When he sees it tear away Christ's glory. When for a moment he even seemed to withdraw God's loving kindness from him. When that man witnesses and covered in his own blood immersed in the, 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 the deepest depths of grief it is then that that man says now I, I, I shall truly comprehend the nature of sin as, as never before while well, those previous circumstances leading up to that point might have imparted some understanding of the dreadful character of evil, of her own depravity. It is only, it is only when he sees the Savior on the cross and grasps how treacherous and disloyal his guilt is towards an all-loving God. So this morning... As, as heirs of heaven, as heirs of the great promise, wants to take our minds back, back to to infinity's past, as far back as we can reach, before creation, before anything that we even know, that we see. Exist. There was God. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Even at that moment, as far back as our minds can reach, you were in the mind of God. You were in His mind. For the foundation of the world. And so fast forward now, and and, and behold this scene here, this scene of suffering through which your Lord endured for your sake. Bring your mind to this setting, this moonlight setting in the the garden. You're standing in in the garden of Gethsemane amidst the, the olive trees. Witness him. Witness your Lord sweating great drops of blood. As he's crying out and praying to his father. Preparing himself for the cup that he was about to drink. The cup being the wrath of God. Now follow him. Depart from the garden. Cross over the the brook Kidron. Follow him up to Pilate's judgment seat. Put yourself in the midst of the crowd. The same crowd that a week ago was chanting, Hosea, Hosea, is now chanting, crucify him, crucify him. Put yourself in the midst of that. Observe your master subjected to the vilest and filthiest insults. Behold the face of the spotless beauty defiled by the spit of the soldiers. When this is his head pierced with thorns. See his back torn, scarred, bruised beneath the, the merciless lit whip. Behold him dying. See him dying. Go and stand where, where Christ's mother stood. Hear him say, "Behold your Savior." Stand next to John. Hear Christ say, I thirst, I thirst, and find yourself incapable of seizing his sorrows. And as you weep there upon his crucifixion, you know, raise your fist in the air and cry out for justice calling for the traitors to be brought forth. And in that moment, the traitors come forth and you realize it is your very sins that expo- they are exposed as the murderers of Christ. In that moment, let no punishment be too severe for them. Well, what punishment can even match the murder of the Son of God? Severing of an arm, plucking out of the eyes. For if these murderers slew Christ, let them also die. May they die an agonizing death, a death they must die. As the church, as the beloved, It was our sins in which put Christ to death. It was Christ who put our sins to death that day. May the Holy Spirit teach us and remind us always of that foundational lesson. Of the the boundless wickedness of our sin. For Christ had to lay down his life for your sins to to be cleansed away, to be covered. As the old hymn goes, Jesus, my blood of righteousness, it says, when from death dust I rise to claim my place in the heavenly domain, even then my plea shall always be Jesus has lived and died for me. Boldly I'll stand on that great day, for who shall dare my charge to lay? While through Christ's blood absolved I am from sin's tremendous curse and shame. So if this is your experience, if you've seen the immense weight of your sin upon our Lord and Savior and knowing that he took the debt and paid it, the debt that we owe. That is your experience this morning. Approach the communion table with great joy, great joy and gladness. Not as a sad occasion, but as a, a, a feast of gladness. A feast of rejoicing. Not because of anything that we can do. Not because of anything that we have done. But because He laid down His life for us. Let's pray. Heavenly gracious Father. May our minds never falter and and slip to remembering the, the great magnitude of the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Help us to love one another because of his sacrifice. Help us to preach to a dying world because of his sacrifice help us to live and have our being in your son father i pray as we partake in communion this morning that you take these elements and set them aside it's a holy use bless the bread and the juice father bring our minds to that last supper as we partake in them our minds and, and seat us there amongst your son and amongst the disciples remembering the great promise that he gave that he's going to gather us together that he goes to prepare a place for us and that was all purchased through the great sacrifice of your son Father we thank you we praise you